Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. All right, all right, all right. (laughs) Wow, what a great day, huh? I was thinking, you know, it's such a celebration day for we Christians, and um, you really can't mess it up, you know. You know, you can feel pressure being the preacher on Easter Sunday, but really you can't mess it up because, you know, if there's something you long for, like the Braves winning the World Series, and they're going to have a, a parade and a, and a big, big ceremony, they can't mess the ceremony up. Because we're just excited about the Braves winning. And we want to get with other people who are excited about the Braves winning. And that's really the way Easter is. Uh, This is the day we we get to win. And uh, we win every day because of Easter Sunday. And so I want to talk to you this morning about resurrected faith, resurrection day faith, resplendent faith. There's a lot of adjectives that can go with this. And so some of, some of the adjectives you might insert your own, but I'm talking about effervescent, sparkling faith, ridiculous, unrealistic faith, anything can happen faith, that new car smell kind of faith, raised from the dead faith, visionary faith, Dreaming big faith, nothing is impossible faith. Lauren introduced a a line I I really never heard, but it stuck with me. Faith like you've never been disappointed. That's good faith. Or the line we hear so often around here, Any area of my life that's not glistening with hope is under the influence of a lie. Any area of my life that's not glistening with faith could be under the influence of a lie. Jesus talked about childlike faith, and he says, unless, it's actually one of those verses that kind of sneak up on you, Jehovah Sneaky. He's talking about kids, you know, okay, this isn't going to be that tough a verse. Then when you read it, it's kind of tough. It's like, unless you be converted and your faith becomes like a child, you can't enter the kingdom. Whoa. Tough verse in the little kid verse. Faith like I've never been disappointed. So I've been thinking about this for months. This topic has been on my mind for months. And I've been thinking about the times when I felt like I had resplendent. I'm going to call it electric faith. Alive electric faith. Attractive faith. Like people are actually attracted to the faith that you have. You can tell. There have been seasons in your life where people have been attracted to your faith. You've been growing, you've been alive, you've been electric in your faith. And I've had, I've had, I'd say two real seasons where I would 
describe it like that. One was college, and I lived on a hall. I was the dorm counselor on this hall. We had 40 guys. 20 of them were committed Christians, and 20 of them were committed Hellraisers. And it was a wonderful experience. We all coexisted somehow in a, in a great way. But uh, it caused our faith to be alive. And uh, I was able to, I could walk to this wonderful church. And I was a brand new Christian. I got saved at 17. Everything of this was new to me. And I got to sit under the teaching of Charles Stanley three times a week for about seven years. And I had a resplendent faith in that season. And uh, the, the other time was uh, kind of the year before, during, and after we, Lindy and I were called to school of ministry at, in Reading and just being in the Bethel culture. And, and uh, I, I was carrying an attractive, resplendent faith. Um, I've had two seasons where um, it's interesting. I've had two seasons where for about 15 years we were involved in two church plants, this being one and, and another previous. And it was harder to carry resplendent faith as a leader. There's just more stuff. You know, life happens, right? like kids, responsibility to all of us, business, life, bills. Life happens, and it's a little harder to carry electric faith in the midst of life. Chris Valton says, favor in the kingdom it looks like responsibility. I hate that line. It's so true. So favor looks like responsibility and life looks like responsibility and parenting and being a dad and being a mom and going to, you know, jobs. The two times I was in resplendent faith, I was like in school in, re in receive mode. It was a little easier. And then church leadership is like life on steroids. It has more responsibility. It's, it's, got more ups and downs. And that's a reason to honor your leaders because it's actually an honor to be a leader because God said, I trust you. I believe you can carry resplendent faith in the midst of this. It's possible. And so I've been thinking about this a lot. In fact, uh, I'd say the low point of my most unelectric faith, my worst moments of faith, which is, you know, you're really not proud to talk about that on Easter Sunday, but it was about three years ago. And for whatever reason, after we kind of turned over uh, the leadership of the church, I just began to kind of take stock and look back at my life and Somewhere in the midst of that internal navel-gazing, I think I just got disappointed and frustrated with God and even took an offense to, to God, like, 
I've poured out my life into this and it didn't turn out the way I like. And I started counting the cost and I started, and I kind of spiraled for months into really um, never losing my intimacy like with Jesus. I can't imagine that could ever go away, but just kind of frustrated with everything else. Anybody been there? I can get an altar call on this one. But I, um, so I've been on this journey like, how did, how did I get out of that? And I'm, I'm preaching a message on, so, it's so much easier to preach a message on something you've totally overcome, you got the victory and you're imparting it. Like, I feel like I'm two thirds of the way there, back to resplendent faith. So will you, will you take the last third by faith? <laughs> Amen. You know, what does Christianity and waffle fries have in common? They're only good served hot. <laughs> and lukewarm faith, you know what they talk about in Revelation. Lukewarm faith. In the church of Laodicea, they said, I, I wish you were hot or cold because you're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus is pretty harsh, you know. We kind of paint him as this like milk toast kind of, but he's like, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. So how do you get back? And why even try? Part of my, uh, my low time was reading about God's generals and how many of God's generals didn't end strong. I even got offended with God by that. You're not taking care of your generals, God. I was ticked. But ending strong isn't a foregone conclusion for us as believers. I don't take it for granted. But there's an invitation into electric faith. And if you've ever gone to a place where you've been disappointed, you've taken an offense, where, where do people get hung up? They get disappointed, they take an offense, they have expectations. Most of the time they're unspoken expectations. They're walking in unforgiveness. They just get weary, sometimes weary and well-doing. Or sometimes we just get lazy. Stayed home during COVID and never came back. So these are the anchors, the stumbling blocks. These are the things that can get in the way of us coming back into resplendent faith. But I feel like I'm hearing an invitation. Come home. Come to electric faith. And for those of you that have been there and maybe fallen back or there's a, a grievance or an offense that you have to work through and have victory over to get back there, 
I believe there's an extra reward at the end of the day. And Scripture talks about the aroma of Christ. That there's an aroma in 2 Corinthians 2.14. It talks about carrying the fragrance of the Lord. When I got, when I got into my worst days, I remember there was a fork in the road. And down one road, I could just sense, like, if I keep going down this road, I'm going to be a grumpy, bitter old man one day. It wasn't pretty. Down this road, there's the potential to be a gracious, kind saint. At the end of this road, too, for the overcomers, I believe there's the ability to carry the aroma of Christ. Now, what does that look like? My best example of sensing the aroma of Jesus on someone was a, a missionary to China. Lenny and I had a chance to spend an evening with them, and they were underground in the church in China. Their children, their grandchildren were spread all over the world. They were paying a really high price in being away from their family. And they were paying a high price that it was, it, that it was dangerous. They could be put in jail. And in talking to them, like there was no, um, there was no counting the cost. There was no guile. There was no, there was no frustration about their life. There was just a, I left like, wow, they're carrying such sacrifice, and I don't feel any of that on them. And three days later, I could still feel the, like the presence of the Lord associated with them. That's the aroma of Christ. There's a promise of the aroma of Christ for those of us that can walk in resplendent faith in an overcoming way through the end of our days. So I want to ask you, I'm not going to um, do an altar call, but I'm just going to ask you if, um, to just take a moment. And if today, like you're in your electric faith season, amen. And if you're not, and there's room to come back, room to grow, I want you just to assess where you are on that road. There's a famous road called the road to Emmaus. It's a great resurrection day story. Where are you on your road to Emmaus? Are you halfway there? Are you going in the wrong direction? Are you checking out on the exit ramp? I'm not going to have you break up and talk to anybody or do a little, we're not going to do like Yogi Bear. Okay, pair up in groups of three. So that was a really good joke, but you missed it. <laughs> so, but where are you? Let's do it this way. Close your eyes, and if you're less than that in this t today,
less than a place of resplendent faith. Just slip up your hand real quick. Okay, thank you. So maybe maybe 40% of the room. So that's that that's uh less than I expected even. But if everyone had raised their hand, that would be maybe not a church I want to go to. So, you know, you want to you want to kind of figure that one out. Like who are the leaders here? So here are the keys. I've been thinking about this for months. Like, who are, what are the keys to getting resurrected faith? For that 40% of you that raised your hand, today could interrupt, be an interruption. An interruption in your destiny. So here are the, here's some of my keys to coming back. One is to just make sure I stay in love with the gospel. I stay in love. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday. Every Sunday, I'm grateful for what Jesus did on the cross, the burial, the resurrection. It was a crazy week, if you think about it. Uh, Just listen to this. I, I saw this the other day. During this whole week, there were three hours of total darkness, a great earthquake, the veil of the holy holies rips down the middle, angels descend from heaven to appear to and talk to several people, dozens if not hundreds of graves are shaken open, the dead in those graves come back to life, walk through the streets of a major city of the Roman Empire, God the creator rises from the dead and appears to over 500 people, often in large groups, and then levitates into the clouds in front of one of those groups. It was a pretty big week. It's an extraordinary week, and the road to Emmaus is another extraordinary story, and you can find it in Luke chapter 24. It'd be a great one to go back and read. I was reading it this week, and I saw something I'd never seen. So on the road, this is after Jesus has resurrected, the tombs open, the women had found the open tomb, and two are walking. They're walking to Emmaus, and a third person joins them. And they're talking about all the events that have happened. Jesus joins them, but they don't recognize him. And Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? And one of the persons, Cleopas, he says, basically my version is, have you been living under a rock? <laughs> Don't you know? Haven't you heard? Which is kind of cool that this was, the story of Jesus was everywhere. And, you know, they didn't have cable news, they didn't have smartphones, but the story of Jesus was everywhere. And they're like, haven't you heard? And then Jesus began to tell them stories about where he was prophesied in the Old Testament, how the Messiah was prophesied to come and how this Jesus was the fulfillment. Now, they still didn't recognize him. 
Now, what, what a great video to rent when we get to heaven would be that walk to Emmaus. And what scriptures did Jesus, what, which ones was he talking about? I would give a lot to hear those. Which ones did he pull out? It's interesting, when he, got to, when he got to Emmaus with the other two and they invited him home, they invited him for dinner, as soon as they broke bread and had a sip of wine, their eyes were opened and they saw him. Great communion message in there. And as soon as they recognized him, he disappeared. It's funny, the Western church is so full, afraid of the supernatural, but it's happening all over the Easter story. He disappeared. And they decided to go back to Jerusalem and tell all the apostles what they had just seen and ha happened. And as soon as they arrived, he appeared out of nothing. Crazy, huh? Of course, they're all afraid. And what they say, don't be afraid. Like the scariest thing in your life. And they say, don't be afraid. So all these wonderful things are happening. And then Jesus rebukes them also for not being aware of the scriptures about the Messiah. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus expects us to know the scriptures related to the Messiah coming, his death, burial, and resurrection. I wonder which ones he talked about. Maybe he talked about Hosea in Hosea 11.1, 1, I believe it is, where he said, he'll come out of Egypt. Maybe on the road he was saying... He was reminding them, hey, the Messiah was prophesied to come out of Bethlehem. Maybe he took them to Isaiah 53 and said, did you see that he was prophesied hundreds of years earlier that he would be pierced in his side? That he would keep his mouth shut like a lamb going to slaughter? Did you see the ones that he would be, his sides would be ripped, we would be, he would be beaten for our transgressions? Did you see the verse in Isaiah 53 where it said he would be bare, in his grave he would be with thieves? Implying he was, remember on the cross there was on his left and right were thieves? And then it says in Isaiah 53, but he would be buried with a rich, in a rich man's tomb. Like, it's pretty specific, isn't it? Like, what are the odds that you're going to die between two thieves and then a rich guy's going to give you a really expensive funeral? If I've just named five or six prophecies out of Egypt, Bethlehem, he would be pierced in his side, how he would be buried, he'd be whipped, upon him the sins would be laid, he'd be, he'd be, a curse would be laid upon him. Like these very specific scriptures. I've named six or seven, but what are the odds of one person having those happen? Jesus expected them to know the Old Testament prophecies.
I've, uh, there's a great book if you're interested in the subject. It's called uh, Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It's an old book. But I, I, Amazon, it. you can still buy it on Amazon at a reasonable price. But in that book, it says, it shows 100 Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. It doesn't take much faith to believe in Jesus. Really, I, I mean, I'd be, I want to be just so clear with this. Like, if you could come, if you're listening to me and you, you, you say, I'm not a part of the faith, I, but if you could wipe your slate clean, like the, the whiteboard clean, if you could come with no prejudice, with no preconceived notions, if you could come and read those hundred prophecies, you would reach the conclusion that no one else could accomplish this. And they weren't written in some like piece of paper and stuck in somebody's drawer. They were in the Holy Bible. They were in the Jewish Bible. They were been read for hundreds of years. And I've preached this message before and most of the time it comes across kind of ho-hum. Like I've been Unimpressed with the response. <laughs> kind of like today. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of kidding. But I, it's, and I, you know, I kind of realized, like, we don't come to Jesus with our heads. We came with our hearts. So you can, you know, you can talk about head stuff. But really, all of us, our stories to Jesus were a heart pull. But I thought it was interesting that Jesus rebuked them. One of the first things he did was like, How, didn't you know about my word? I told you this was going to happen. But I never want to fall. I, I want to always stay in love with the gospel message. So when I, when I open up like Isaiah 61, which is kind of a, if you were to say, what's a chapter, what's a chapter that defines Bethel Atlanta? If we, could, if we were all deserted on a desert island, is there such thing as a desert island? We're ever on an island together and we could only take one chapter of the Bible, maybe we would take Isaiah 61. But I want always to, when I, when I read this scripture, I, I just try to imagine Jesus opening that scroll in his first inaugural address, in his first sermon. And I can't read it without emotion. And I don't want to read it without emotion. That God would become flesh and pursue us. And that God would have opened a scroll written about him hundreds of years in the future. And in his opening sentence, his opening mission statement, his opening, I'm going to tell you why I'm here. 
He says, I'm here because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the humble, to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to captives, freedom to prisoners. I'm here to declare a favorable year of the Lord. I don't want to lose the emotion and the gratitude that God would put on human flesh and come and open a scroll and say, I'm coming after the hurting. I'm coming after the broken. I'm coming after the downtrodden. And when I hear that, I'm like, I'm so glad this is our faith. I'm so glad to serve a God that this is how he does it. That it's that level of kindness. That it's that level of come one, come all. It's that level I'm coming after the ones hurting. I don't ever want to lose the love and the heartbeat of the gospel. And it's a key to resplendent faith. The gospel story is so beautiful. The whole story of our faith is so beautiful. It's elegant. It's full of identity. It's full of a God pursuing us. It's wonderful. It starts in a garden called Eden, which means pleasure. And it starts with a God making a man in his own image and inviting him into intimacy and spending time with him. And everything is perfect. There's no work. There's no conflict. There's no disease. There are no bills. It's awesome. Plan A is awesome. They mess it up. Sin has entered into the picture. The enemy to kill, steal, and destroy. And we end up with a broken planet and broken people. And that's not enough. Jesus says from the foundation, before the foundation of the world, this was no plan B. God wasn't caught by surprise. Jesus came took off, stayed fully human, stayed fully God, but somehow walked as a man and went and dealt with every temptation you and I have ever dealt with and overcame them. And then willingly, in his purity, in his wholeness, he sufficed a requirement of God. God had a requirement. God isn't a man that he would lie. God had a requirement, and the requirement was sin, the wages of sin is death. God isn't someone who can just say, oops, I don't mean that. His word is like a granite mountain. He had a dilemma. His word said, you sin, you die, and yet I love these people, and I want plan A. And in the beauty of the gospel, those come together in the person of Jesus, who in a perfect life, God himself climbed up on a tree and became a curse for us. He was torn so that that curtain could be torn from the top 
to the bottom, signifying that you and I can come into the presence of the king. You and I, equal access. Not just the one priest, but you and I. It's a beautiful story. It's so elegant. His back was ripped so that you and I could be healed. The cross wasn't just about salvation. It's about your healing, your wholeness, your mental wellness. He was made poor so that God wants you to be rich. I know that messes with some of your theology. It's in the Bible. He was a curse. The sins of the world were laid upon him. He died so that you might live and I might live. It's an elegant story. I don't ever want to not be moved by it. And we can't ask our preachers, uh, go up there and do another show and say it a different way. Woo me, wow me. That's not my, their responsibility. I come and steward this thing, this gift of faith, this jar of held in a jar of clay and I steward it and I come to church and I want to bring my overflow of gratitude and have this wonderful, extravagant worship with other people who feel the same way. We don't apologize for extravagant worship. We actually want more. We're repenting it isn't more. I don't want to lose. So as I, as I keep the gospel and gratitude in front of me, it takes me into awe and wonder and reverence and worship. That's the reason we worship. It's not cultural, it's out of gratitude. The fear of the, do a Bible study on the fear of the Lord. It's like the greatest vitamin in the world. It's a spiritual vitamin. There's a lot of great nutrients in the fear of the Lord. And the best way I've, I, to me, explain fear of the Lord, it's awe, reverence, wonder. If I'll keep my awe and reverence and worship, gratitude of the gospel leads itself to awe and worship. And in the place of awe and worship, Often two things happen. Sometimes you just enjoy him in your presence, in his presence. Sometimes when I'm in worship, he, um, the Holy Spirit will kindly, gently pinpoint an issue in my life that needs to be worked on. The Father instructs the Son in whom he loves. And... If I'll respond early enough, it's usually gentle and kind. (laughs) 
You see, he's trying to get those baggage things we were talking about, whether it's unforgiveness or whether it's uh, an offense or whether it's laziness. He's trying to deal with those things because he wants every one of us to have resplendent faith. And so he'll remind me, like, hey, I want you to deal with that. Hey, when you, your attitude there stunk. You don't really say it that way usually. But. And there's another thing that can happen in awe and wonder and in worship and in its presence. And often there is a, uh, a call to do something. You know, we live in Graceland, but it doesn't mean you don't have to do anything. In, in the law, the law has requirements like you do this. It's somewhat performance-based. The law requires, grace enables. In the land of grace, you'll get, uh, there'll be a, a word like, I want you to do this. Like we call it obedience. Hear God's voice, run to obey. That's a little saying around here. I hear his voice, I run to obey. But the beautiful thing in this world right there is that when he asks you to do something, he brings grace to allow it to happen. It's so awesome. And because sometimes it requires sacrifice. Sometimes it requires great faith. But there's grace coming with it that if I'll do it then and don't talk myself out of it or go talk to my buddies who taught me out of it, there'll be a grace. And then, this is the coolest thing. If I'll go do it, every time he circles back around in some way, circumstantially, he lets me know I heard him and he saw me do it. And that's the coolest thing ever. Like that's, that's like mustard seed faith. That's like atomic bomb for me. Like when that happens, I get into electric faith. Because I know, God, you actually heard me. Like, you saw that. That's that intimacy thing that causes our faith to burn. And in that moment, when grace is there, we're willing to sacrifice. But what can easily happen in our journey, one of the temptations, you get to my stage of life, I just, I'd like to live in comfort. Sacrifice and comfort and ease are kind of sometimes at war with each other. It doesn't mean he doesn't want us to live in comfort and convenience, but I have to be willing when I hear his voice to go. This is our journey to resplendent faith. This is our journey to carrying the aroma of Jesus. Can you imagine a church where all the leaders and all the people were carrying an aroma of Christ and walking in resplendent faith? It's available.
He's inviting us in. He's inviting us to live this life. So, Lord, we just uh, come to you in gratitude. We come to you with a heart that uh, wants to live a life of high faith, hot faith, obedient faith, grace-filled faith. People of the way people of the day, daughters of light, resplendent ones, obedient ones, holy ones. Where the world has no hooks in us, we pray, God, let your spirit do its work in its people. And all the people said, amen, hallelujah. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.